Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And it wasn't really that the strength was really in his hair, but it was God's grace, wasn't it? But it was a symbol of God's favor upon his life. As long as he was obedient to that, God would bless him, and God would use him even in spite of him. And I, I think that's so wonderful about God, too, is he often uses us in spite of us. To the rock I cling. How can I keep from Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that Samson relents under pressure from Delilah and gives away the secret of his strength. However, we know that there was nothing magical in Samson's hair. We might also say that Samson began breaking his Nazarite vow before this. Yet there came a time when Samson finally had to reckon with his rejection of God's mercy. This was the time. The Bible tells us that our sin will find us out. This means that in time, your sin will catch up with you. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. I knew of a man when I went, I went to college with. He was in the same department that I was in in uh, my undergraduate degree. He was a really good-looking guy. I mean, he really was. He was tall. And he was. He reminded me, everything that Samson is, he reminds me of Samson. He was a ladies' man. All the ladies loved him. He was a good-looking guy. Not only that, but he was muscular. And guess what? He was a really good guitar player. He was a much better guitar player than I could have ever been. Just amazingly gifted. He was, a, he was uh, gifted in the martial arts. He was a taekwondo champion, won many awards, won many music uh, competitions. One of those guys you never want to go up against. And then he went off to Hollywood, and I remember him. At one point, we were friends, and, now, and then he went out to Hollywood, and, and he was very arrogant, very sure of himself, and did movies with Demi Moore and Harrison Ford. Then I just found out about a month ago, a month or two ago, that he, had, he died. He was a year younger than I was. He overdosed by accident, and he died. But he was one of those people like Samson, very gifted, and everybody just, they loved him and they hated him. Have you ever met somebody like that? <laughs> everything you do, they could do better, and they always did everything better. They were good looking, they could speak three languages, you know, they, they, they could fight, they could shoot, they could do everything that you maybe want to do. Maybe you don't want to do, but I do. But anyway, um, they could do all those things and much better, and much, much better. I mean, you were just like a, a kid in their sight. 
But Samson seemed to be like this larger-than-life figure. And they wanted to afflict him. They wanted to chasten him. They wanted to humble him. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to weak him. And so, verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And what kind of weird thing was this? One would think that if she said this, and knowing what he knew about the Philistines, that he would have at this point nothing to do with her. He was already an enemy of the Philistines. Now, she's a Philistine woman, and she's saying, what can I do to bind and afflict you? Um, Come again? Why do you want to do that? Oh, no particular reason. I thought maybe feeding you ice cream would be kind of fun. Right? (laughs) Kind of weird. He should have walked away from this, but he didn't. She must have been really cute. I'm sure she turned on all the charm. I'm sure she had all those features that Samson was just like his jaw was hitting the ground. He was drawing flies with his mouth wide open looking at this gal. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. These bowstrings were literally animal intestines. They would take the, the, the intestines of a cattle or a sheep and they would dry them out. And there's a process that they would go through. And they would use them for bows on bows and arrows. They would use them, and in fact, in the Middle Ages, they used them for guitar strings. It was called cat gut, which they really think is cattle. Probably cattle gut is really what it was. But that's what it is. And, when it, and they're very strong, especially when they're not dried yet. Very strong. So they bound, they, they bound him with these fresh bowstrings, seven of them. Now, men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and this room must have been pretty big. There could have been lattices, there could have been uh, doors or areas where um, Samson couldn't see, and these men would just hide out in this big room, and they would just stay quiet behind the scenes, and they didn't even, Samson didn't even know they were there. So they bound him. Then Delilah said to, uh, the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, and so the secret of his strength was not yet known. And then Delilah said to Samson, You've mocked me, and you've told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. At this point, any sensible man would say, You know what, I just, I think I'm going to go to the drive-thru at Dairy Queen. I'm out of here. But no, and what kind of sick, perverted thing were they going, what was going on here? I can't help but wonder her seduction. And ladies, you know, you can have that power over a man. And maybe a man can have a power over a woman, although I doubt that. But women can certainly have that power over men. And you have to be very careful. Be very careful with what you have. Those persuasive, natural things, ladies, you have to be really careful so Delilah, you know, here she is. Look, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Isn't she living a lie? She's living a lie, bigger than he is, just as big as he is. She's already in cahoots with the Philistines. She's going to get a big paycheck when this thing is over with. And she's saying, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? So he said to her, verse 11, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. And therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to, to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. And the idea behind this is that these guys would sit there quiet and they would not say a word until they realized that he was really stuck and he couldn't get out. They would wait a moment and if he could break loose, they would remain quiet and he would be none the wiser. They would wait until they knew that his goose was cooked, and then they would descend upon him. That was the idea behind this. And so verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me, with, tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, and now you can almost, you know, seven is the, is the, the number of completion, the number of perfection. Very biblical term, very biblical number. And here, Samson, my seven locks. You know, isn't it funny how sometimes people can play religion? Got these seven locks. They mean something. I'm a Nazarite. Well, why didn't you walk like one, Samson? Why are you with an, a Philistine woman who's got eyeliner? It looks like a, she looks like a birthday cake, I'm sure. She has so much makeup on, she probably glowed in the dark. And here he is, just, wow, just muscles on two feet. Dum, 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 dum. But now, if you weave the seven locks on my head, his hair meant something, right? That was part of his Nazarite vow. So now he's getting a little closer to the truth, and she knows it, and she's just content, continually pestering him. She's enticing him. She's dripping like water, just like that water on his forehead. It's just eventually he's just going to cave. He's going to cave, and he did before, and he, now he's going to do it again. And so, um, you know, he had taken this Nazarite vow, you know, and, and basically that vow was, um, we heard about it in Judges 13 because it was something that the angel of the Lord told to Samson's mother and father. In verse 13, verse 5, it says, Behold, you shall bear a son, the angel said to his mother, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin, shall begin to deliver the people out of the hand of the Philistines. We don't have time to go there, but you might want to mark in your Bible right here, Numbers chapter 6. Look at the first 22 verses, because it goes into more detail about this Nazarite vow, how they were not to be around dead bodies. They weren't able to drink anything made of a grape at all. No raisins, no wine, no grape juice, nothing, nothing. No fruit roll up, nothing. And it wasn't really that the strength was really in his hair, but it was God's grace, wasn't it? But it was a symbol of God's favor upon his life. As long as he was obedient to that, God would bless him, and God would use him even in spite of him. And I I think that's so wonderful about God, too, is he often uses us in spite of us. He uses us even when he knows there are areas that need improving. And it makes you wonder, was there a man in Israel at this time that God could have put his hand on and used? I would almost say there, there probably wasn't, or God would have. But he saw a man who could avenge the Philistines. He saw a man who could come, he could use and bring judgment upon the Philistines for their sin, not because God was a racist, but because of their sin. There's a big difference. But he took the gift of God for granted. 
Verse 14, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom. And this batten, this loom, and this, this thing that he was caught up now with his seven beautiful Goldilocks, um, that thing that he was wrapped up in, this is not some small little contraption. This is a very large, cumbersome device that now he's, he's all entangled with, okay? So this is not something that's just easy like bowstrings, you know, break out of him and he's all fine. No, this is something a little bit different, something a little bit different. Then she said to him again, and I can hear her pouting, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I thought you loved me. Remember that time in Monaco when you told me you loved me? You've mocked me these three times, she said, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And so she just keeps grating on him. She keeps pounding on him. She's pestering him. She's enticing him. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Again, this word is ahava. We saw it in verse 4 above, and what a crazy thing again again to say. She was manipulating him, and she would be a very wealthy woman when she succeeded. And there was no love between them. It was all lust. He certainly saw her, and the, the word gives it away, exactly how he saw her, how he studied her, how he observed her a little too closely. And, and she went for it too. He saw this hunk of a man, very gifted, very talented. There was no love here. She proves it by her deception. There was only lust. And what a difference there is, isn't there? Unfortunately, many today, and especially many young people, don't really know what love is. Remember many years ago, a gentleman who used to fellowship with us many years ago, Lou Graham from the rock group Foreigner, wrote a song, I Want to Know What Love Is. And certainly a man like him, especially before he got saved, traveling all around the world, women throwing themselves at him, he knew what love was and what it wasn't. You figure it out. The physical stuff is empty, if that's all it is. But real love is something more than just a feeling and a passion. It's a commitment. It is a decision, and it includes sacrifice. It includes sacrifice. Guys, after you're, you know, as, as you get older, there's two people who used to sit right there, actually. And they were um, Bunny and um, Rick Marini. They were each like 95, 96 years old, and they sat right here. And they were the cutest couple I've ever seen. They'd been married longer than I'd been alive. You could add like 15 years to my life, and they'd been married longer than that. That's how, I mean, they were finishing each other's sentence, chewing each other's food. I mean, it was crazy. You know, one would eat garlic, and the other one would have it on their breath. I mean, they were just, they were one. And he used to, they used to get up after church, and he would hold her hand. And they both passed since then. We were both at their, had the privilege of doing their funerals. Both of them, such sweet people. What a great example after all those years, and it was a choice they made. It was a choice that Rick made to treat her like a queen to the very end. I miss him. You know, they were great folks. But notice verse 16. came to pass that she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. This word is distress. She distressed him. She oppressed him. She put him in a straight. I mean, she was just, he was compressed. You get the idea. Why would he subject himself to this? Samson allowed himself to get into these places where he was manipulated. He was one of those guys, easily manipulated. Just took some time. 
At this point in Samson's career, and at this point in the chapter, Delilah, she must have really poured it on really hard, the charm and the seduction, because she knew her payday was coming. 5,500 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. And she, verse 17, he told her finally, after she had pestered him, she told him all of his heart. And I imagine the weight off of his chest felt like he just, like, like, uh, like the Mount Everest had just gotten off of his chest. Every single day, every day, she pestered him, pestered him. He's like, oh, give me a break, give me a break. Pestered him day and day. Finally, he tells her. He tells her. He said, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Now he tells her the truth. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. See how often he kind of puts himself on a pedestal? Like any other man. I'm not like any other man. (laughs) Quite the... Quite the GQ kind of guy, yes. You see my picture on the, on the front of the, you know, the magazines. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once more. I think I got him. For he has told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her. And notice they brought the money in their hand. They're so confident that this is going to be the time that they brought all the cash. They brought in the suitcases. Each of them, loaded. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. Lullaby, little Samson. And called for a man and had him come and shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him. And this, for some reason, when I read that phrase, it just brings chills down my spine. Because I know what it means. It mean, that when it says she tormented him, it means to chasten or humble or to weaken him, to hurt him. But just the way it's written in the scripture, it just sounds really ominous, doesn't it? As he's there, and I'm sure she's just running her hands through his hair, and he's just lulled to sleep after a long day of beating up Philistines. And he's tired and lonely, and she's rubbing his fingers through her hair, and he's just kind of like, oh, in a dream state. You know, still got ice cream in my stomach, and I just got. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when we do not know when the Lord has left us. To be in a place where you don't know what the difference is between your own strength and God's strength. And to know it's usually at the end of your strength, that's when God's strength begins. That's why Paul could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. And Samson never learned that lesson. He was always strong. He was always the one calling the shots. He was the one that everybody looked up to. Everyone was afraid of. Everybody loved him, and yet they hated him. He had that kind of personality. Then the Philistines took him, verse 21, and they put out his eyes. They literally bored his eyes out. They plucked them out. They either plucked them out or they dug them out. He, was, he had no eyes. They took out his eyes. And it's interesting that this is the part of his body, the gateway to his character that got him into so much trouble. And that's the thing that he lost. He lost his eyes. 
the thing that had gotten him into all that trouble. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? You've all heard this, beginning in verse 27. It says, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for... For you, that one of your members perish, then your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, was Jesus saying literally cut off, take out your eye and cut off your hand? I really don't think so. Because here's the problem. You can still pluck out an eye, but the heart hasn't changed. But he says, and you can, you can cut off your hand. If you're a thief and you keep thieving with your right hand because you write with your left hand because you were taught the right way. Uh, <laughs> I'm a lefty, by the way, and I'm still bitter about it. But anyway, uh, they cut off the hand. He can't, he can't steal anymore with his right hand. I always pick up the candy from 7-Eleven with my right hand. So now he can't thieve. And, and he says, well, just cut it off. Well, I'll kind of learn how to do it with my left hand then. If you get desperate enough, you'll figure it out. Don't we? We do. Whenever we're hemmed in, we find a way. We'll find a way to do it. So God wasn't speaking of physically doing it, but it needs to be that serious to us. It needs to be that serious to us because what does sin do left unchecked? A life of sin leads to ultimately, if not repented of, it does lead us where? To hell. And that is our choice that we make. It's not something that God says, I'm going to send you there. No, you've chosen it. God doesn't send anybody to hell. They make the decision all by themselves. And he gives them so much opportunity. He's such a God of grace. Aren't you glad you're here? If you're here tonight, that means that God got a hold of you. And I pray that you know him with all of your heart and that you'll serve him and and, and know him and let him have every part of you. And because when he has every part of you, your life is going to be fruitful. It's going to be a blessing, not only to you, but to everyone around you. Your whole family is going to be blessed. The whole earth around you is going to be blessed. You are like the epicenter of righteousness. Isn't that cool? You are the epicenter of righteousness. You are a epicenter of righteousness. Because wherever you go, your light will shine so that people will see your works. They'll see your life. They'll see the way you talk. They'll see the way you walk. They'll see the things you do, the things that you don't do. They'll see that you've got a, you don't have a filthy mouth. They'll see that you're an honest person, that you're, you have integrity. And therefore, you will have, your light will so shine that when they see that, they will glorify who? You? No, they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So it's not enough to cut off the hand. The heart has to change. But we need to take it that seriously as if we were going to do something that drastic. But most people don't take it drastic, a drastic stance against sin. A lot of times people will think, well, I've been doing this for years and God hasn't really chastened me. Well, he's been giving you a lot of rope to hang yourself. That's what happens. And I know this to be true for my own self. He get, and, and here's the thing. Wouldn't it be nice if we all had the same amount of rope? And when I say that, I mean, there comes a point where God judges, okay? He chastens those who he loves, right? But even the ungodly, he will judge them. He will allow them. And even for Christians, if we're not careful, God will chasten us. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. If you're, you know, we're all sinners, right? But we ought to be sinning less as we walk with Christ. But when we, if we don't, if we continue in a sin, 
we all have different lengths of rope, and we don't know how long those are. Sometimes God will allow a man or a woman to be in adultery for decades, and then all of a sudden, he allows them to be exposed, and their marriage, their family is destroyed. Even their jobs destroyed. And other people, it's the first time. Bam. And you're like, wow, I only got like three centimeters of rope. And you gave that guy like enough rope to go to the moon and the earth. It's like that. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.